Welcome to our podcast, Geeks, We Are Your Fathers. We're three proud geek dads and we're here to talk all things technology, gaming, science fiction and more. In this episode, we're focusing on everything music. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of Geeks, We Are Your Fathers. I'm Robbie. I'm Pete. And I'm Dave. So we had a chat last week about some of the geeky subjects that we could cover on future episodes of the podcast. And one that we all got very excited about was music. So that's what we're going to talk about this week. What was the first piece of music that you guys owned? <laughs> this is going to be so embarrassing, isn't it? I think what's going to come out. So actually, the first album that I bought with my own money was the Kids From Fame. <laughs> which which I'm sure you've all heard of. Um, Robbie's probably not seen the original TV series, but it was massive, wasn't it, Dave, back in the day? Kids oh, from it's fame. huge. It was sticker books and everything. Oh, I, I even had a pair of leg warmers down the roller disco, right? It was that, that, I got that into it. It was very good. So that was, yeah. When, that when was it? Early 80s? Yeah, must have been. Yeah, must was, have it, been. was it Alan Parker who did that? Wasn't that, was it Alan Parker? Uh, um, the what, British. The from fame. The, no, the whole TV show. Wasn't he the, oh, behind I that? I don't know. I don't we'll know. have to Google it. I have a feeling he was. Yeah. So anyway, so that was my first album. But actually, the, the, the first one that I think I remember walking into WH Smith's was, um, yeah, Paul Hardcastle 19. Remember that? No, 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 oh, 19. Yeah, very much so, yeah. What a track that was. That was. I mean, it was totally repetitive. Time, <laughs> well, he did the, the TV thing, didn't he, to Top of the Pops in the end. So... Uh, but uh, that, that was when you used to walk into Smith's or our price of it was back in the day and you and you look up on the shelf behind them and they had all their albums, didn't they? Like, or singles, number one down to 40 and you, and you pick the one you want. And I, I always remember actually a guy I went to university with, he used to work at our price at the weekends and he used to say people will come in and they didn't quite know the name of the song, so they started humming or singing at him. Like, Do you know the one of those? <laughs> and they get very upset with him and he said, no, don't know what that was. <laughs> and, and now we have Shazam. And now we have Shazam, absolutely. So, so yeah. So that so that was my first signal. That was uh, Paul Harkless on nineteen. Yeah, my first album was um, um, the Kids from Fame. And then uh, I forget what my first tape. Oh no, I don't. I do remember my first tape. My first tape was now. That's what I call, call music number one. Wow, double cassette. There the was a number one. one. There was a number one. In fact, at one point, I had one to twenty on cassette. I think. I think I eBayed them in the end. Um, but uh, wow. every I used to collect them, yeah, um, and listen to those religiously. So uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of me. That was my. Oh, and while I'm here, this is my first CD. My first CD was Pills, Wheels, and Belly Aches by. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember? <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> oh gosh, Pills, Wheels, and Belly Aches by the Happy Mondays. No, uh, sorry, I'm choking on my beer. Have another sip. Hang on. <clears throat> yeah. That's it. So that's, the best way that's... to get over beer is more beer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so, that, so, that, so that's me. That's me. What about you then, Dave? Well, that's, see, I don't remember ever buying singles as such. Um, I, I had an older brother, so I kind of inherited some of his musical taste. And, and I remember the, the first album he gave me, he bought me a, a mono cassette player so it wasn't even a stereo oh thing. yeah i had one of them it's yeah. one one speaker and uh he got me a copy of out of the blue by the electric light orchestra oh and, yes and i i've been a lifelong fan of yellow ever since they're just absolutely fantastic um so that was kind of the first thing i remember being given 
uh, the first thing I ever remember going out and buying was a Fleetwood Mac album. It was Tango in the Night. Nice. So I was, I was a album. little bit late to buying stuff. So th- th- that came out in 87. So I think 87, 88, I bought it. So they were the first one. I do remember buying a single, uh, an Aerosmith single, at some point late 80s. But for yeah. me, it was all about albums. It was never really about singles. I was much more into into one band or one performer or another. So it yeah. tended to be albums I would buy. Cool. Yeah, I think mine's probably very different than both of yours in that the, the, the <laughs> format... When Generation I, gap. Yeah, I mean, when, when I first bought my, my first single and album... It wasn't in vinyl. It wasn't even in cassette. It was in CD. So my my first single that I remember buying was Wonderwall Oasis, hey. which is actually quite a cool one. So I'm always quite proud of that one. But I'm not so proud of the album because I had the first album was bought for me was Hearsay, which was <laughs> the, the band that won the Pop Idols, yeah. uh, or the Pop Stars Arrivals, whatever it was called those days. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, that one's not quite something to be proud of. But um, yeah, I mean, strangely, I've I've done it backwards. So I've always been into CDs because that's that was the format that I knew when I was growing up. But then I got to a certain age and actually got more interested in vinyl. Um, and I've bought a record player and I, I still buy vinyl to this day. And actually, they're much more expensive than going and buying the, the music on, on the app store or anything like that. So um, it just it always sounds a little bit better. But I'm similar to you in that respect as well, Dave. I'll always buy the album rather than the single. Um, you know, I've got a few good ones on there. And it's everything from, you know, the likes of Fleetwood Mac and some of the, the music that was maybe before my, my generation um, up to some of the modern day stuff. So I've got a lot of the Arctic Monkeys albums that they then release on vinyl. Um, yeah. Likewise, some of the Oasis albums and Kasabian albums, they've done the same. See, I was never, I was kind of that, that generation where records were there and it was mainly singles and albums... Um, was still available on vinyl and people were buying them but actually it was this kind of tape generation so it was the yeah. point where the walkman was coming in tapes are kind of the big thing in some ways it's it's, it's, it's bad because obviously tapes just haven't lasted the time i mean i found a few in the loft we just had a roof re-roof done and uh pulled stuff out and found cassettes and they're just knackered you know from yeah. the heat and they're just like, whereas vinyl if you store it properly it, it's as good as the day that you completely it. i've still got some from grandparents and all sorts yeah. that we found and they still play really well and it's it's yeah i mean it's weird that it kind of went backwards to go forwards if you like yeah. in that respect um but i know I mean, so i mean i remember my first so the cassettes obviously were my big thing and i remember my first personal stereo so i can't call it a walkman because it wasn't really a walkman it was the argos special job with the orange headphones <laughs> and it was like i don't know i can't remember how much it was now not a lot of money and uh it didn't even have a rewind button it was fast forward only you had to keep turning it over to to rewind it and um that's when I started getting into, I guess, recording. You know, like we should record the top forty off the radio. Dave, you would have done this, right? You get your ghetto oh, blast or whatever, oh, and you yeah. record Bruno Brooks on Radio One. You try and, you know, let everyone just try and cut the DJ voice out before you he spoke all over your song. It was almost impossible <laughs> to do that. Well, I, I remember. I've, I can still remember sitting in my bedroom, uh, avoiding doing revision for my A levels. <laughs> listening to a tape that I'd recorded a couple of years earlier and on there were things like Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer and right. B-52's Rock Lobster and Classic. David Halen uh, uh, Van Halen stuff that was 
that was kind of the era. So like, there was me hiding in my room, not revising, playing darts when I should have been revising maths, listening to, to exactly, as he said, stuff recorded off, off the top 40. I remember that distinctly. That's kind of my only memory of cassettes, is that I, I don't think I ever... I never bought a cassette in my life, but I do remember recording and having a my sister's karaoke machine and doing exactly that with the top 40 and recording them yeah. and recording myself as the DJ over the top of some of them and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, I, I never knew it as a, a real music format that I well, went and purchased. Did you ever make a mixtape then, Robbie? Or were you a little bit young for that? Did you, yeah, you know, but, create your own, give it to a girl, you know, that you, would, that you fancied? And I think I received a couple of mixtapes, but I never made any. Mm-hmm. I, but I was again it was more by the time I got to secondary school it was in the generation of burning CDs so yeah. it was the same sort of thing and I did make plenty of them and I probably still have a few lying around in my car now that I've made so it's <laughs> yeah I mean it just kind of moved on from being a a, a tape deck to to recording CDs and and burning everything onto a CD instead yeah, yeah. Well, I, 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 I think my, my brother is is 13 years older than I am so um, it's one of the reasons why I've kind of inherited some of his musical tastes because he was when I was growing up I was going to school early 80s he was already he was always a, already a grown man and so he he was into all sorts of weird wonderful stuff at the time but I remember him specifically actually splicing tapes oh wow back, back yeah. then you couldn't there weren't many twin tape deck machines no. So if you wanted to make your own tape, you literally had to splice it. You had to cut it with a razor blade wow. and stick it with a piece of sticky tape. I remember him doing it. <laughs> well, this normal very... like ninety C ninety cassettes that type of thing oh, yeah. was it a proper like yeah, big real yeah. thing? No, no. It was oh my god! I, I mean, it, it seemed very ramshackle to me. It, it, it seemed to me you wouldn't be able to keep the thing because you'd end up breaking the tape, or it would end up eating or being eaten in your machine, and then you'd have yeah. to pull it all out. I never played around with that, but I do remember him having the kit to do this hand splicing of tapes. Wow! To me, yeah, my my sister's six years older than me, and I remember plenty of times when I was younger getting into trouble because she obviously was she did have a lot of music with tapes and cassette tapes and the amount of times that I used to mess them up in the machine and they'd end up everywhere and having to try yeah. and rewind them and hope that she didn't notice yeah I've, I've got to say the first I bought a CD player I can remember it distinctly because it was in 1992 mm. um, and, and we talked about earlier about the whole idea of getting yourself the, the big hi-fi stacks these great big things that were you know they, they were a certain size because they had to be the size of a full-sized LP 12 inch disc yeah a 12 inch LP so you got these things stacking, and and I had I'd gone and bought myself some of that a couple of years earlier, but it didn't have a CD player in it because it was still quite new at the time. But when I bought the thing originally, CD players were hundreds. Yeah. And by the in between times things had got so I went and bought a separate CD player, and went out, and all of a sudden the fact that you don't have to rewind or you can listen to the songs you want to listen to, and you go, oh, I don't just listen, I'll skip that one. It was like a revelation. I'm sure <laughs> nowadays it was the same thing when all of a sudden we're going away from music, but all of a sudden when you're able to pause live TV, yeah. for someone from an older generation like me, that just was that blew my mind. And I'm sure that there are some of the younger generations now. You know, you you had to watch it while it was on. 
it, yeah. you know, but then I suppose they'd say the same in terms of you actually had to go and buy the album because I, I mean I suppose now there's as much of a question of what was the first album you bought to what was the last one you bought because people just generally don't buy music anymore no. I mean they I, I mean, don't you no. look at the likes of Napster and LimeWire and things like that that existed that really pushed people away from buying physical music and downloading it albeit illegally um, but then you know they've brought it back around now with the likes of Apple Music and Amazon Music and Spotify, where yeah. you're paying a subscription, but you're now spoiled for choice. I mean, I, I I love the fact now that I can just think I haven't listened to a song from X band in so long, and then I can listen to their entire back catalogue within seconds, and yeah. you yeah. can attach it to any speaker in the house, and you can listen to it wherever you want, whenever you want, and you've got it there. As long as you're paying your subscription, it's there. It's not going anywhere. Yeah, and although you don't physically market. own it, yeah, it's just crazy how I feel like how far it's come in probably the last 15 years yeah. in comparison to probably the, the 50 years before that is insane. It does take the magic away a bit though, isn't it? Because you've got the world's music at your fingertips, yeah. It's, there's too much choice. You think, I don't know what to listen to. Whereas if you're looking at music on your shelf or your CDs, whatever, you kind of it's a bit more limited and, and again when you go to like a friend's house and you look at a cd collection you think oh wow you know sort of cds and your music or your music choice sort of de- you know kind of defines your personality yeah. doesn't it, as well and you don't have that now because we live in this minimalist world where everything's digital and i remember when i got my first mp3 player it was a diamond rio and i thought oh so i'll get rid of all my cds it'll be great because it only had two gigabyte on it right so i could only give out an album and a half on it <laughs> so it was pretty pointless really i don't even know why i bothered but obviously at the time it was like wow this is amazing and then this was well before the ipod and uh yeah I, I just remember getting that and thinking it was great and i because it was such a small capacity you used to have to rip things down at really low super quality like fm quality and you yeah. can maybe get like three albums on there but i mean at least it was better than carrying you know cds which are bulky and fragile and easily scratched and you know and you used to it, skip it, every time you went over a bump you used on to your skip. bike <laughs> uh, the amount of times that used to get on my nerves where you'd be listening to something and suddenly oh it just jumps because you've you've walked a little bit too quick or too slow had a mind of its own i think you're right though pete it's 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 almost taken some of the should we say the romance out of music because i I remember the whole thing you go down to our price i remember while it was still our price yeah get the latest album from from a band and you take it home and you'd listen to it and you'd have that it it was almost a cliche you'd sit there with the the liner notes yeah reading the lyrics and listen to the the songs the first time and there's a story it was things like that you wouldn't hear this there was a story about the monsters of rock um concert that used to be done at castle donnington oh yeah in in the summer and it went for years and years and years and it was some of the really big names in in rock music were there and there's a story about i think it was the very first monsters of rock up at castle donnington and um the local chief of police the chief inspector of of leicester police leicestershire police apparently he was there doing the crowd control for this first ever uh, big rock extravaganza at castle donnington he was spotted going into our price on the Monday morning and bought the entire ACDC back catalogue <laughs> and apparently was seen at pretty much every Monsters of Rock ever since in an ACDC t-shirt because he was just his eyes were open to this and he thought it was great. Mm. But you don't get that. You'd never get that as a story. The local copper, you know, chief of police coming along and all of a sudden he's a diehard ACDC fan. Yeah. You wouldn't know that nowadays. No. And I, I always like that story because that to me is that's almost the romance of, you know, I'm going to go and buy all of this vinyl. And, and he just did. <laughs> but it's incredible. That, 
that's what's great about radio though isn't it because radio kind of you, you just sit back and you're not in control you're not in the driving seat the dj does it i know you know i, I mean i listen to commercial radio at least heart fm and stuff and they do repeat everything i do a bit of radio one and stuff but i do like the fact that you generally don't know what's coming up next and then things come up that, that you know have that whole nostalgia value and you think back because music's got that habit isn't it of triggering memories which is oh, amazing yeah. and um especially from my childhood Especially when you get the 80s stuff on, and I like heart 80s and absolute 80s and 90s and all that kind of stuff. And I, I'll never get you know uh, uh, tired of listening to any of that. But I, recently, and we, I think we might have mentioned this last week, so Jude Pullin built us this Radio Globe. So I think we spoke mm. about that website, Radio Garden, which is this incredible website, which is which I think is available on Chrome, and it's literally a map of the world that you spin around and you've got these little dots all around the different countries. You just hone in on those dots and it literally tunes into the radio station that's underneath that dot. So there's a thousands and thousands of radio stations from all around the world. It's actually incredible. And what Jude has done is he's built like a physical version of this using a globe that he's got from a, like a £10 toy. And he's 3D printed all the enclosure and he's used a Raspberry Pi. And, and literally you spin this globe with your hands and you land on different places. And, and, and literally it plays radio stations from where you land. It's absolutely incredible. And I love it. And it's just mesmerizing. And you listen to music that you get that a, a, you may have never heard of or, you know, some familiar stuff comes out. And it's just you could lose yourself for hours in this thing. It's absolutely incredible. I, I really love it. So if you go into Design Spot, you can see the Radio Globe project and, uh, and you can make your own. We've shared all the files. It's absolutely incredible piece of kit. So check that out. There's also another really cool app that he mentions in that as well. It's called Radio and it's got lots of O's at the end. I think <laughs> five O's at the end of it. It's an app and that's quite similar. Yeah. So you can go around the world and listen to different radio stations, but it's also a time machine. So you can select which decade you want to listen to the music from. So it plays your random music from that country. But then if you say 1950s, it will play your 1950s music. If you say 1980s, 1980s, etc. And again, it's just all about that that magic of listening to different things and discovering different music from different eras and it's it's really really interesting i mean i spent at least two hours in that app the other day just listening to really random music from all over the world and it's especially as somebody who loves music i, I just like yeah. listening to different types of music as well yeah me too whenever i get my car i'm abroad if we get a higher car i always put the radio on for the local radio stations you know I like I, I like country music, right? Which I've kind of liked on and off for, for years. But when we were in the US last year, we were just tuning in to I mean, country music huge there, obviously, tuning into some of the local radio stations, and oh, they are just great. They're just there's so many stations to choose from compared to what you have back here. But the internet, you know, gives you that access anywhere in the world, so you don't need to be in those countries to listen to those things now. But there's something about when you're there and you've got that, you know, you're in a different country and you've got the local music, yeah. and the, it's just wow, you know, I love that. I remember country music and the, how popular it was really blew my mind when I was in America. I remember going to Memphis and um, I was in a car with my step my stepdad um, and his family and the the girl that was driving was only 15 and she'd just passed oh, yeah. her test, and, yeah. which was weird enough. And then <laughs> she put the music on and it went from sort of being really heavy hip-hop, 50-cent style music to then the next thing that came on was country and she's singing every word and you think this is really weird like i could not imagine 15 year olds back home being so into this sort of country music no. but did again, you go to graceland where you yeah were i did oh. i did and actually I, what's amazing isn't i it, must I admit i wasn't i mean i didn't know too much about elvis before then i was quite young when i went 
Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, it was unbelievable. I definitely came out with a whole new appreciation of, of everything to do with Elvis and the music. But I mean, Memphis in general was one of the best places I've ever been to and I would love to go back. And yeah. that was all down to the music because when you walk in... Oh, the jazz and, and the street. I mean, yeah. just walking through the parks and yeah. there were all different bandstands and everywhere you went to, there were two or three guys just sitting jamming and they were unbelievable. The jazz is absolutely out of this world. And just, you know, some of the some of the talent that's there, just from people sitting on the street singing with each other was, it, again, it just blew my mind. I can imagine. You know where you need to go? If you haven't been to Austin in the US. I haven't um, yet, no. Wow. I mean, that is the place. There's basically a long street in Austin. Or plenty. There's loads of bars. And I mean, I've not been for a few years, but it probably still happens. But they are bands, up and coming bands. They play in these bars all the time. Every night there are new bands. You can just go have a beer, listen to these bands. When I went, you know, a few years ago, they have all their CDs on the bar. You could buy the CD. They probably are probably all downloads now, isn't it? But, you know, that is an incredible place. If you like live music, um, yeah, Austin, Texas is just an incredible place to go. Absolutely amazing. You, you, you'd gonna, love it. I was going to go to uh, Nashville this year before. I've been there two years. All this, all this nonsense took over. I was due yeah. to fly out to, uh, to see a couple of clients in, in America. And my plan was to fly to Nashville go and do all my work and then I was going to drive back to Nashville even uh, on a Saturday I was taking a Sunday flight and I was going to book a ticket for the Grand Old Opry just just for a giggle I don't care who yeah. was playing because uh, they they this shows every night there it's just it's huge yeah. and I just thought you know what I, I can't go to Nashville and not say I've been no. Also, the, it's where I think there's still a Gibson Guitar Museum there. I was going to go and see that. Yeah, there there is. Yeah, they've got the Country Music Hall of Fame Museum yeah, there, which is cool as well. Up. Yeah, that'd be right up my street. But yeah, obviously, plenty of line go. dancing as well. <laughs> I, I, I do draw the line a tiny bit. Of that. I'm, I'm not very good at dancing in any way, so um, so I'll, I'll just let them tap my foot. Thank you. Yeah, it's a great city. That sound means it's time for our special guest interview. And this week, Dave caught up with Eric Smith from the band Ryan Law and the Shelter. Hi everyone, I'm here with Eric. Uh, Eric is somebody that Robbie, Pete and I have known for for some years. And um, I won't necessarily say he's as geeky as we are, but I think it's probably safe to say, Eric, you're comfortable around geeks. Should we I'm, say I'm, that? I'm comfortably geeky. Yeah. There we go. So, so kind of, you are one of us, really. Yeah. We we're we're all one. That's, we're, that's something we can we can all agree on. We're all part of the gang. Yeah. Um. The the reason we wanted to speak to Eric is that he and a couple of his friends have done something pretty impressive, and released an album in the middle of lockdown, uh, whilst the three members of the band are separated by some ridiculous distance. So the band is Ryan Law and The Shelter. Eric, who is Ryan Law? Who are Ryan Law? I don't even know the answer to that. What is pluralism, I think, is the question. So uh, Ryan Law and The Shelter is, um, I'm going to use the word consortium, but it's three guys. So it's myself, uh, the singer and songwriter Ryan, and then our bass player Russ, um, who got together in like March and we started saying, Hey, let's, let's make an album because Ryan and I have played together off and on for 12 years. Uh, Russ and Ryan were in a band in uni back in like the early two thousands. And we, you know, Ryan's had these songs bouncing around. And so we said, Hey, we've got time. Like, right. We're all, we're all home. We're all still yeah. working all these things, but we're <laughs> home. Could we make this work? Uh, and Ryan lives in Qatar 
and had just set up a new little studio slash office in his house. And he's like, hey, I, I think I can figure out how to make this work if we can get tracks to each other. So he and I started exchanging ideas and tracks. Russ joined in and started exchanging ideas and tracks. And then we got a, a drummer involved, got a pedal steel guitar player involved, got a singer in Germany involved, and the producer is in New York City. So pedal steel's uh, New Mexico, um, producer and piano player and bass player in New York, drummers in South Carolina, backup singers in Munich. I'm in uh, the UK, and uh, Ryan's in, in Qatar. So very spread out. Very, no one is actually in the studio together yet. We're still able to make an album, uh, you know, put things together, uh, thanks to technology, for lack of a better way of putting it. Uh, and that's that's the part that interests me the most because uh, I think it's fair to say people have been doing this kind of stuff in their bedrooms now for some time, so there, you know, there aren't any number of names out there who started out being effectively YouTube stars. They sat in their bedroom, they produced some of their own music, they they published it out to the world so i'm guessing that whole home recording thing that's that's not anything new really but from no. your from your point of view i mean it sounds like you're saying you, your friend ryan has has his own little studio is this did you have to start from scratch no it's a, so um yes and no is what i would say so my wife and i did a, a podcast for a little while so we had the the input the the interface to go from you know live something live sound of some type right whether it's a line input or or guitar or something like that yeah into your computer and look i mean garage band has been packed in with every mac since what 2003 yeah, yeah. um and obviously beyond that there's a ton of other amazing um recording software there's obviously pro tools there's things like reaper um and they make it super easy um so what we did is i ended up having to buy some studio speakers bought um some additional cabling and would just sit at in my office at night, um, and I can get into the, the how that worked because I play guitar, and obviously that gets really loud. I can talk about that here in a minute. But we would just record through that. I'd use a program called Reaper, upload it to Google Drive. Ryan would download it, put it into the song, go, okay, this fits, this doesn't fit, and we would just keep bouncing ideas back and forth. I mean, we ended up probably doing a hundred takes of a lot of the songs, which makes it a lot tougher than being live in a studio where you're like, yeah. you do it again real fast. You know, you have to record and send, record and send. And then we, you know, uploaded everything raw to the engineer, James Frazee, uh, in New York, who made it all into magic, you know, put it all together, produced it, made it feel really clean and clear. Um, and it never felt difficult other than, and I don't know how you're, you're wired, but creativity for me, often you have to be with somebody. Like, it helps to bounce ideas. So it was a lot of Zoom calls. <laughs> yeah. Uh, talking about things. Um, and it was a lot of just conversations, but we, we got there in the end. And actually, to be, to be quite honest with you, uh, it's actually turned out a lot better than we thought it would. Because um, you never know when you're in isolation trying to put something together, is this going to really fit in the end? And it actually did. Yeah. And, and that, that strikes me as maybe the, the most difficult part of the whole process is, is that isolation. Because I, I know, you know, I, I read about lots of bands and, and read about how they've done things and sometimes a band gets together in a studio and bashes through a song to, to make it feel right and other times you've got the bass player in there for a month doing his bass lines again and again and right. again and then he goes on holiday while everybody else then comes in and records the rest so so I suppose that working in isolation isn't new but it feels that there was a barrier because of the distance did you, you really felt that? I mean, yes and no. It's it's kind of a weird one. I mean, I think the the key 
that really helped us um, was uh, I know Ryan really, really well. He's, you know, best mate. And so we know how each other think and we kind of talk through enough and kind of, you know, he wrote most of the songs and I put the, you know, help with music to it and things. So you kind of had an idea of where it was going. And that really helps. If it was just like two completely abstract ideas, it would never work. Mm. And then um, our drummer is a guy named Dominic, is just phenomenal and really brought he's just a real level of class to the whole thing, which allowed our bass player then to lock in and make it all work. So things started flowing because ideas were kind of generated. So the whole heart of the band is really just Russ, Ryan, and I. And we're all on the same page of where we thought it needed to go, how it needed to feel. And then, you know, we had a couple of, you know, studio musicians who kind of helped polish it up, including our, our pedal steel player who's played with the likes of people like Willie Nelson. Oh, um, right. Yeah. yeah. So it really brings, like, a, a level of class to it. And and it's a weird thing to say. And that wasn't dropping his name wasn't just to, like, drop his name. But in the midst of 2020, you know, all these guys aren't touring. So you're able to actually get somebody like that who normally would just tell you, no, we're good. Like, thanks. I don't, yeah. I don't need to talk to you right now. So it's worked out, but I mean, even um, Taylor Swift's most recent album that she made with um, uh, Aaron Dresser from, or Dresner, excuse me, from uh, The National, and um, I forget the guy's name from Bonavera at the moment, I'm blanking, um, that's how they did it. So she recorded it at her house and would send tracks to Aaron, and he would go, okay, what about this? And they bounced ideas back and forth, and Justin, that's the guy's name from Bonavera, same thing. So they never got together because of quarantine. And that's how the whole Taylor Swift album came together as well. So it's it's becoming less weird, I think, to think about not having people like a Led Zeppelin album, in a, you know, at two in the morning, you know, three sheets to the wind making yeah. a record. I think that's it, it's a lot easier now than it used to be. Yeah. Um, and I'm interested, actually, in the way that there seems to be a, a process in, in a, a building block approach. So there's, there's you and Ryan that have done kind of the, the core of it. Then you're talking about the, the fact that the drummer comes along and adds his interpretation to it. So it's this constant building block process. Yeah. So what we, I mean, the easy way to do it, uh, that, it that anyone can, can do is we recorded um, a lot of scratch tracks. Uh, and those are just rough cuts of this is an idea. Does this work? So Ryan would record a lot with just his acoustic and his voice. He'd send it to me. I'd play a bunch of stuff on top. And we'd go, okay, I can see where this is going. And then we just talk through what if it does this? What if it does that? This is where it needs to build. This is where we want it to you know, drop. This is the you know the crux of the song. So you then it t- you send it to someone else. And they play to that, um, that building block, like you said. So you've built the base of the Lego. And you say, this is what the base needs to be like. Can you please put the middle floor in? Mm-hmm. And they put the middle floor in. And then you go, oh, I really like how you did that. So you kind of tweak a little bit and go, okay, now the song feels a little different because the drums do this now. So now we're going to switch a little bit. And it just keeps flowing back and forth till you go, okay, this is what I want to do. Now you hand it off to the engineer who says, okay. And then he even takes it another step and goes, this is what I hear. This is where this part should go. This is the part that should get buried. And it just keeps becoming ultimately uh, uh, a piece that everyone's contributed to uh, that started with ideas from two people that just kind of you know blossomed, for lack of a better word, as everyone else puts their, their paint on top. This this is fascinating to me. I'm um, I'm a to say I'm a bass player is probably overbuilding it. Um, you, you told me years ago that um, you bought a bass in the U.S. when the the pound to dollar was very favorable. I did. And I believe it was a Rickenbacker bass, was it not? I wanted to buy a Rickenbacker. Okay. Um, but yeah, I was I, I went to Manny's in New York, and uh, I wanted to buy. I've always wanted a Rickenbacker, uh, much to my wife's annoyance because she doesn't like them. 
Um, and and my, my wife has been... That. Well, my wife has been an enabler when it comes to me buying guitars. So she bears as much blame for my collection as anybody because she just says, yeah, I like that one. You're having that one. Mm. Um, but I couldn't for the life of me persuade her that a Rickenbacker was a good investment. Um, so I ended up coming back with an Ibanez. But yeah, I did exactly that. Um, but I I haven't, I have not played as much as I should have done. Um, I talked in a previous podcast actually about collaborating with a, with a friend of mine that I worked with at a previous company um, and and she sent me some tracks and I played a little bit or tried to do a little bit of, of baseline for it and it, and it never really get, went anywhere and, and so I mean that in a way is, is a question for you is how do you maintain the momentum how do you maintain the the enthusiasm when you've got this this system where you do a bit and you kind of throw it into the ether and you wait for someone else to respond does that dampen your enthusiasm um yes but um it's a weird one uh i don't know how to answer that well because yeah it does dampen your you know you you it's like having uh, you spend all this time putting in all this effort and then you put it out into the world and you're like please you know validate me right yeah like, tell, tell me this is great um and you might get some people go yes and then you get other people who ignore you i mean the worst part really has been for the past three months i've basically become multi-level marketing to my friends through social media <laughs> and and that just does feel so disingenuous but um it's it's not easy to keep that momentum what has really been a real benefit um and, and i hate to say that because like 2020 is going to go down in history is not a great year to to put it mildly no. but doing the album has been a really nice escapism piece for me and Ryan and I were talking about that actually just yesterday. Like, hey, we have you know ten more songs that came out of working on this of all these other ideas. Of well, now we have all these the creative juices are flowing, right? Like now we're back in it. We can do this. And yeah, we may never go anywhere. We'll never play the Grammys, but it's mentally really good for us to find a creative outlet that you don't find when you're sitting at home, you know, twenty four hours a day. So that's kind of what's spurring us on right now is the fact that there's songs and music we just have to get out, which sounds really artistic and silly, but it's true. Like when you have that creative bone, no matter what it is, and I think about this for like engineers and I think about this for anybody, like if you have something creative in you, you're going to get it out somehow mm. and whatever that looks like. Um, and that's what this has basically become. So if we make another album, nobody ever likes it. Okay, like we'll just deal with that. Um, but this one actually, um, we actually even got some uh, good pub uh, on one of the top Americana blogs here in the UK. Um, they gave us a really good rating and said it was great. The guy's been really friendly. He's letting us advertise the album on their site and they get like legitimate reviews and uh, legitimate hits every month. So that was a validating enough to have one person who had no vested interest say, this is pretty good. I like it. I'd like to hear more from you. And that's enough for now. Yeah, I, I can see that it's different to, like you say, being a, uh, pimping up all your friends on Facebook, which I was going to mention that because I've got to say, I loved your, uh, should we call it a guerrilla marketing campaign? I don't uh, know if that's yeah. the right word. I, I loved the approach you took. I mean, it was just it, it resonated with me, and I laughed, and well, and, you know, it, it stemmed from. Um, so just to help frame, if anyone you know ever goes and looks this up. We joked about the fact that we're all in our late 30s. Uh, bass players just turned 40. We're all dads. And it's like, what? what is more dad than being like, hey, late 30s, let's make an album. And then it's like, well, what's, <laughs> what else is dad? Well, dad is minivan in the U.S. Or dad is cargo shorts. Or dad is, you know, uh, really tall socks with uh, his sandals on. You know, that kind of stuff. So we're like, let's just embrace the fact that we're dads. And 
and, and just tell everybody, we'll make you a dad or more dad using it as a verb or adjective if you listen to the album. And it actually worked out pretty well because it, it, you got to make fun of yourself at some point because you're like 37 oh, yeah. putting out your first album. Um, you have to laugh at that. Yeah, I know I, that that resonates with me enormously. That that's um, um, and uh, I don't know if this is going to sound condescending, but it actually sounds very English. It sounds very you know making fun of yourself is a is is something we're pretty good at. Yeah. Um, and uh, the fact that you're American that sounds condescending. It's not meant to. It just it really resonated with me. So so how successful was that? You you, you said that you've got reviews off this um this Americana website. Um, did they find you from Facebook? Was that the the path to that channel? I, I, w- as it were? I would love to tell you that's the case, but the 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 deep uh, dark underbelly of the music industry is you have to be hustling, and uh, I'm probably the these guys are going to listen. I know they will, so I'm just going to say it. I'm the most hustler of the three of us. <laughs> so I, I've I've been out there chasing people, uh, you know, contacting record labels, found the Americana blog, spent a lot of time reading their stuff. It's actually a really good blog. Found it a while ago, and contacted them, said, hey, "I got an album coming out. Can we talk?" And they reached out. We got to know each other, you know, and and it just came from finding people. Um, and it's unfortunate, like any industry, you can be really good or really bad, but if you don't know anybody, it really doesn't make a difference. Okay. Well, it's that, that saying, it was, it, uh, it takes years to be an overnight success. Yeah, exactly. You can't expect things just to turn up in your lap. It's got to be a, an element of hustle to, to make it work. Yeah. Uh, having said that, I did love you. Did the, the Facebook campaign that, that you're that welcome. Really... <laughs> we, we may, we may bring more of that back. We'll see. Um, but I mean, when, when it comes to music, the other thing too is in a normal year, I mean, you're nothing if you're not touring, right? Um, mm. you're not, you, you've got to build that fan base. You've got to yeah. find ways to get people because everyone's vying for ears and vying for ultimately where they put their, their pound note. Um, so if you're not touring, it makes it a lot more difficult to get to be known. And this year, obviously, you can't tour. So again, you go well, put out an album when no one else is going to go to a, a bar, you know that sort of thing. So yeah, got to keep the social medias going. Absolutely. So is it? Have you self-published this, or is this through uh, a record label, or is, how is, have you done it? No, no. Um, but if any record labels are listening, we're happy to have a conversation. Um, it was uh, independent. So one of the things you uh, keep it in, in theme with uh, your, your the podcast here, um, it's really easy to publish music. So when you say, hey, you put an album out and it's on Spotify or it's on iTunes or Google Play or Deezer or Napster's still around in case you're wondering, um, you go, wow, that's a big accomplishment. It actually is just signing up with it with certain publishers who allow you to keep uh, your your publishing rights and all that kind of stuff, setting a date to release it, you know, taking care of the artwork and all that kind of stuff, and then hitting publish. I mean, it's not really any different than posting an Instagram post or anything else. Like, and you know, so in my mind, it was going to be the, this big deal. Like, I'm going to you know have this moment, and there's going to be angels singing, and there's going to be <laughs> clouds parting. And instead, it's me sitting at my computer going, "Enter, done." <laughs> and album comes out two weeks later. So kind of kind of sucks some of the fun out of it, doesn't it? Yes and no. It it, it does in a way, but at the same time, it, it it's it's putting the power into your uh, yeah. into your mouse button, as it were, rather than anybody else's. It does at least give you the the power to do these things. Yeah, I mean, when it when it comes to music today, I mean, Billie Eilish has recorded most of hers at her house. Now she's got a little bit more of a recording studio than me, obviously. Yeah, but. Um, recording and releasing music um, is nowhere near 
as difficult as it would have been 10, 15 years ago. And the quality of the equipment you can have in your house is phenomenal. So I'm, I'm, I'm sitting at my desk now and I'm not, they're not the fanciest, but I bought some Atom Audio monitors and they're amazing. They're ribbon speakers are recommended to me by a friend. So they've got a ribbon tweeter and they didn't cost really anything at all. And like 10 years ago, they would have been thousands, you know, so the, yeah. the cost of things has made it to where anyone can, can buy into this at any price point, And then it's up to you to figure out how best to use it. That's that's an interesting point, actually, because it is it's very much more accessible, isn't it? I, I've got um, before we start recording, I think you mentioned a, you've got a Scarlett microphone. Um, I use a, a Scarlett device to uh, feed my ba- base into my computer. Right. And it's if it was 100 quid, I'd be surprised. I can't remember how much it was, but it wasn't expensive. And with a minimal amount of kit, I can start sharing music well if you call what i put out music but i can share what my output don't don't undersell it you're fine uh, don't undersell it i I should do more i should get better but but you can share it very easily it doesn't take a lot so so the initial investment isn't high which means you can get cracking on this you you said something about the the potential difficulties you're playing guitar at your desk it can be potentially loud you're talking about there might be a challenge there is that something you managed to get over did you banish people from the house Uh, so uh, i would i would love to tell you that i went out and bought like a a three marshall stacks and just a bunch of (laughs) sure sm57s but actually last year um I ordered an, an amp. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to plug them. Maybe one day they'll hear this. Um, uh, there's a company called Rev, R-E-V-V, out of Canada. And they're actually known for making, like, super metal amps. Like, that's what they're into is, like, really hard rock. And we, yep. could, we couldn't be less that. Um, you know, we're much more on that folk Americana kind of thing. But yep. they have an amp that they released last year. It's called a Lunchbox amp. Um, and there's a whole – everybody has one, which is a – you know, it maybe weighs nine pounds – um so what is that four kilos give or take so it it, it's a tiny little portable amp they're called lunchbox amps because you could take it as if it's a lunchbox and it's it's all valve all tube um but it's got embedded in it um kit that allows you to run the amp without a cabinet so if you know anything about um, valve amps, you yep. usually have to have a load of some type against those or else you melt the transformer. Yes. So this one already has the dummy load built in. And using a company called Two Notes, it has their torpedo um, speaker emulation built in. So on the back of it, uh, you can just plug straight into your, your Scarlet Red Box or any of your DAWs. And using their software, you can emulate, I don't know, 500 different cabinets, you know, a thousand different mic placements, you know, four (laughs) different rooms. And look, uh, to be quite honest with you, it's not the same as doing it live, but it's 95%. Uh, I'm a bit of a guitar purist and nerd, so it bothers me, but the average listener is going to not know anything. And I had a long chat with our engineer. He's like, look, you know, you know, he's telling me the people he's recorded with, he's like, this is typically what we do. We run it into a system so that we can then process it as we want. So you're basically doing what I'd be doing to you anyway, but in a studio, you know, in in a studio, you know, obviously charging by the hour. So it allowed me to actually run the whole thing silently in my office. Um, And so I could record till one or two in the morning and not wake up the entire house. And it's been a real nice thing because my wife's like, this is great. I don't have to hear you, you know, blasting <laughs> 35 watts of Vox through the house. <laughs> um, and it allows you to have one app that also emulates different sounds. I can get into the nerdiness if you, if you want because it uses a thing called impulse response. 
Um, but it's it's a really great piece of kit. Um, so if you're a guitar player who's trying to figure out how can I play at home, um, there's a lot of different versions of this. Um, you don't have to buy just this amp, but it makes it super easy. And that's the challenge we overcame because then I could record you know, full blast guitar, but you wouldn't know because I'm listening to it in headphones. Yeah. I'm going to have to go and investigate and see if they've got a bass head version. That, so they Rev doesn't, but two notes um, makes it makes a thing called a torpedo, which is what the software is. They have a few different versions, and they absolutely do. So you could run a bass amp head into it, and that would work. Or if you were using your computer, and I'm not selling it, just kind of helping out here, you can actually run it into the software in GarageBand because it's called Wall of Sound is their software. You're learning something here, but wall yep. of sound. Um, you can actually run it as a background within GarageBand or any of your other programs, Pro Tools or anything like that, and you can emulate um, amp cabinets and amp heads if you're not actually running uh, you know, an actual power amp in front of it. So there's a few different ways you can do it, and that isn't as good as using an actual amp, but again, it's a lot better than just plugging straight into the computer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've, 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 I have played with that kind of direct input straight into the computer, and it, it kind of does what I need it to. But, but yeah, I can imagine that recording needs to you need to go to that next level and make it. Yeah, make I mean, it so more it, I'm sitting behind me here, and I've got you know multiple, a few guitars here. I've got a, a pedal board with twelve pedals on it. So you run all the stuff as if you normally would if you're playing live, but then it just goes into headphones, and then when you're done, this is what the the studio monitors here are for. You crank those up real loud to hear it more in the room. Um, and it worked out. I mean, and it made it easy to, you know, as I said earlier, you're doing scratch tracks. You can record a, a whole bunch and then just airdrop it from your Mac to your phone, send it to, you know, send it to Ryan. He listens and goes, this is good. And then I just go back and record it again. I'm loving this approach. It's, it's talking about start, you know, stirring the creative juices and, and me feeling guilty that I haven't picked up my bass for ages this is making me feel like it's actually something that's that's way more achievable than maybe I thought it was. Um, there was me playing, probably just playing with the equipment I've got. I'm probably not using a tenth of its capabilities, even the stuff I've got, um, and a little bit more uh, effort is going to give such a better result. So it, it's fascinating because when you actually listen to the music, it does sound like you guys were in a studio together and and just bashing through a song. I know. I know, in, and in that's, the best way. That's been the uh, that was the nicest surprise. So we, you know, you, you do the whole ear test. So we we recorded everything, and the best part was is it was typically um, Friday nights. Uh, we you know spent the week working on stuff late night. Ryan would sit down Friday nights and put everything together on his computer to hear a rough mix, and then he'd send it to us. We go, okay, that sounds good. What about this? And then when we finally sent everything to the engineer, who actually knows what he's doing when it comes <laughs> to mixing. And he sent that first mix back. You, you go, oh, this actually does sound like really well thought out and put together. It feels, you know, cohesive. That was the real worry we had: was is this going to feel cohesive, or is it going to feel like you know six people spread about the world? And it it doesn't in any way. That's yeah. That's it was when I first listened to it. It, it was so so clear this was a band and and there was no hint of the fact that you guys weren't in the same place doing this so the fact that you've collaborated over what 11 time zones um and and i'm guessing at no point did you ever play together i'm guessing that that's one of the key things on this 
not on the recording. Ryan and I did get together uh, at, at last year. They used to they used to do this beer festival in Munich called Oktoberfest. They, it was <laughs> years ago. Uh, they don't do it anymore. Um, not during COVID. Uh, we got together and recorded some basics last year, and that's kind of what kicked it off. Was hey, this actually works, and then we didn't obviously end, end up using any of that. Um, but that's really what started. So it was really the only time we've really put any of the ideas down together in the same room. That's, uh, it's, it's incredible that the, the technology and not a lot of technology allows you to to put together something that, that frankly just sounds professional just sounds like the real deal um, yeah and, and, and for i mean you, you you can do it it's not i think that's the it's music for the people which was somebody's going to steal that as a tagline for their, <laughs> their next level of software or something but it it really is the you know it makes it really easy uh for anybody to pick up and just go um, and the, the quality of, you know, guitar effects at this point with the level of DSP that's coming in through some of the stuff, it's, it's phenomenal. Um, you know, the fact that I can use an amp that doesn't actually need a, a, a cabinet and works and sounds amazing is, it's just crazy. Um, and these are things that if you'd asked me 10 years ago, I would have said, no, that's all rubbish. Throw it out. Mm. Um, don't use digital because guitar players are notorious for everything was fine in the fifties. Don't touch it. Yes. Um, but it's come such a long way now that it, it, it doesn't have to feel foreign or fake. It can still feel like you and it, it satisfies that purest need. Absolutely. Well, uh, certainly from my point of view, it's, it, 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 I, I've enjoyed it and you know, I will put, we'll make sure that in the show notes that we put all the details of where you can go and listen to Ryan Law and the shelter. You can, we'll put the links through to some of the Facebook stuff so you can see the, uh, the marketing campaign that certainly amused me so much. Yeah, um, exactly. And we'll put, we'll put a couple of notes in there about some of these, these bits of kit that, um, that Eric's mentioned, because it's certainly from my point of view, I'm going to go and do a little bit of investigation and find out a little bit more about, about what I could do in my own office with my guitars. Um, and see whether I'm going to be able to collaborate with friends in the same way. Um, you mentioned that you and Ryan, you've got, what, 10 more songs. So is there a difficult second album in the offing? Yeah, the, the sophomore slump, as they always say. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny, um, and I won't bore too long, but a lot of the songs on this album he wrote in uni and just never got to them. So they really come from a set point in his life uh, where he was going through a lot of different things. And the stuff we're writing now is more relevant to our lives today because again 20 year old eric and 37 year old eric have very different viewpoints on many many things um and so the stuff now it, we like it better because it's more relevant to us but there's it probably won't be as good i mean that's generally how these things work right like mm. no one ever likes the second album except for maybe like verses by pearl jam that one's pretty good we'll take that one but like <laughs> you know what i mean like second album's never as exciting uh well that, that's that's a whole other podcast um what second yeah, albums are worth listening second to. album that and that's that's where i'm sure that friendships are going to start dying when we start well, dissing we each other's choices do you want the second killers album or the first you want a hot was it a hot fuzz um or do you want like sam's town or whatever it's called <laughs> do you even know sam's town <laughs> no there um, you go that's all you need to know right there <laughs> oh dear um so I think we're probably going to wind up there because it's been fascinating to talk about this, Eric. It's really engaged me seeing from the first mentions that I saw on your Facebook feed about Ryan Law and the Shelter and going, well, what on earth? Because I knew, I knew you played guitar a lot. I've seen pictures of you on Facebook. You played in church quite a lot, I believe, and you played with mates. So 
the fact that you were a guitarist wasn't a surprise but then all of a sudden this started coming along and it really piqued my interest so it's been fascinating to talk to you about it and, and find out a little bit more about the journey that you took oh, god the journey everybody talks about the journey don't they um but to, to <laughs> yes yeah, just getting yeah. flashbacks everyone's life is basically lord of the ring lord of the rings exactly yeah you start talking about the journey i start getting flashbacks and thousand yard stairs it, it yeah. brings me back to a time that we won't talk about but yeah the fact that you've gone through this process and out the other end you've got this incredible album that has been done when none of you have actually been in the same room together to me is is fascinating well, so i appreciate that i appreciate the kind words too no worries well as i say in the in the the show notes for the podcast we'll make sure that we'll put all the links to rhino and the shelter where you can listen to it um spotify deezer all these other places um i'll i'll put some notes in there about some of the kit that we've talked about because people who listen to this are geeky and engineers they want to know i want to know so we'll make sure that there's notes in there and um listen out for the second album if and when it finally comes out um and let us know what you think compared to the first so eric thank you so much it's been great talking to you. you same here it's time now for in pursuit of dispute the section of the show where we all agree to disagree about a geeky subject today keeping with our music theme we'll be discussing guilty pleasures so pete do you have a secret love for the spice girls or dave a secret eurovision fan maybe <coughs> Or Eurovision, oh come on, everyone sort of loves a bit of Eurovision. They've just okay. even released a Rob- movie on Netflix, haven't they? Yeah, With Will and Farrell. Robbie, you just completely stole my thunder because Eurovision is my guilty pleasure. <laughs> it is just brilliant. Everything, I mean, it's so, so the great Sir Terry Wogan used to call it Eurovolsion. But the fact is he loved it and, and he was just such a part of it. And now Graham Norton does it, he's just as good. But He's very good at it, actually, he's brilliant. He's fantastic, but I love Eurovision. I love everything about it. I love how seriously some countries take it, how much tongue-in-cheek it is sometimes. I love the commentary. I love the, the lunacy of it, the yeah. whole build-up. And it's, it, like you say, we've just had that Eurovision movie, which we've watched, I think, three times now. Because it's <laughs> I've not watched it yet. Is it good? Oh, it's fantastic. It's really, really good. And all the songs in it are proper Eurovision songs. Wow. You could easily think of them being slotted into the into the, uh, the the lineup so you know i've got a thousand eurovision memories from either going around people's houses and have eurovision parties yeah we do i'm we old have, yeah. i'm old enough to actually remember watching the bucks fizz performance live me too one yeah i remember oh dear i remember diner international and i remember genie g who are just a yeah, little bit Gina, Gina, <laughs> i remember we, that we one was, we was robbed <laughs> we was robbed that was that you know but the voting is terrible, though, isn't it? The tactical yeah. voting See, that, just means yeah. that we'll never win. Maybe that's why my my generation look at it so differently than you guys, because you had the at least you had the the little bit of um, you know success back in the day, and yeah. you know seeing some of the the things going on and it, you know how good it was. Whereas all I've ever known from watching it is tactical voting and the UK being on between zero and ten points. <laughs> I've never known <laughs> anything what? different, Look and what? usually it being a really terrible entry, no matter who's been going in from the UK. Yeah. Well, there was there was there was one a few years ago. It was a band called I think it was called Scooch. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. Flying yeah. the flag, and it was so tongue in cheek and and so risque that I'm. I think it might have been one of those things that if you were a native English speaker, you'd sit there giggling with, with how risque <laughs> it was. Anybody who wasn't a native English speaker probably it would you know go over their heads a little bit. 
it, it was a perfect Eurovision entry. We were never going to win in a million years. And that's the thing. For me, it's not about whether we win. Um, you know, England's not going to win it. The UK's not going to win the Eurovision unless there's a real seismic yeah, shift. Yeah, batshit crazy thing going on. It, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's the... It's just the sheer lunacy of it. My favourite Eurovision winner was um, there was a Ukrainian singer called Ruslana. She's still around. She's actually a politician in Ukraine now. Um, and she did this song. Uh, and I remember Terry Wogan's comments about it. And it's just a proper Eurovision song. You wouldn't go out and buy it. You would go and buy an album by almost any of these people. <laughs> doesn't matter it's just i remember the an entry from moldova where these guys had elf hats on they were like five foot <laughs> elf hats and somebody came out on a unicycle I, I kid you not this is you know there's the russian grannies that were on a few years back there's no other musical event in the world where you have quite such unadulterated lunacy and everybody well i say everybody there's a bunch of people who take it seriously. Yeah, it, it's, there are. I love it. I absolutely I, love it. When we've won it, apart from Bucks Fizz, I don't think the actual people that have sung the songs for us have been English. Did Gina G win it? I can't remember. Did she no, actually she win she, it? No, she came second or third, I think. Did she? She's Aussie. She but Katrina Aussie. and the Waves won it, didn't yeah, they? And they're, they're obviously American. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, <laughs> but then you, if you look at if you look at the entries, you, sometimes there's been Cypriots or Greek entries. It turns out they grew up in North London. Yeah. Um, yeah. It doesn't matter. It's it it's the the commentary of it. Graham Norton just has a a deadpan delivery and a dry sense of humour for that kind of stuff. And Terry Wogan was just the same before him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ryan uh, Ryland does the the semi finals because now of course we've got the semi finals. When I first started watching Eurovision, it was one event. There were yeah. however many countries. There were fifteen twenty countries. Now of course Europe spans half the globe. It appears. So there's so yeah. many entries that there has to be a semi-final. There's two Israel, Turkey, they're in it, aren't they? Australia are in it. I know, they're Australia throw Australia random. I yeah. was so keen, but apparently the, the, the Australian fandom is nuts. I can they imagine. Get, they, they, they get up at 7 o'clock in the morning to watch Eurovision. And when it was, I think it was the 50th anniversary of Eurovision, I think the EBU said, you know what, let's let the Aussies enter for a, for, for a, for a giggle. <laughs> and they've just carried on. And I love the fact that they're in it. This is, you know, oh. this is as far from Europe as you could physically get on the planet. Do you know what? And they're allowed to enter. It's great. It is great. And I, do you know what? I imagine that the Americans who haven't had Eurovision and this film appears on Netflix, they're, they're probably going, what the hell is this thing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they probably have they no be. idea about Eurovision. They're missing out so much. You know, they, they've missed it. You know, Eurovision is great. And I'm assuming it's broadcasted around the world like most things these days, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. It's just, you can... There's, Whenever Eurovision comes along, because it's usually kind of mid-May, second yeah. week of May, something like that, there's almost always a bunch of different documentaries that come out. So whether it's the, the history of ABBA or whether it's the the, uh, the great failures of the Eurovision or whatever it is, there's always, there's always something that comes out at that time and, and we'll sit and watch it. And, and it's to me, it's just fun. And it is, <laughs> occasionally there are some really good songs in there. Um, occasionally uh, yeah. there some real shockers, but you know, <laughs> like, what was the one this year? There was one from was it Iceland, and it it became a TikTok sensation because oh right, it, like it was a really random song, but it was actually quite good. That's there the was, only one that I'd heard, if I'm honest. There was one because um, all the they're all the entrants had been announced for the 2020 Eurovision, and of course it didn't happen. It was meant to be happening. In the, I think it was Netherlands. 
Um, and by the time it came round, the, the venue was a, a hospital, very much like the Excel had been turned into the Nightingale Hospital. So it, it just wasn't happening. There's no way you can bring half a million people in one place from all around the world uh, in the current crisis. But, but the, the songs that were going to compete were in there. The Russian entry is, if you just want to laugh, is worth Googling. So I'd say to anybody, if you, if you just want a giggle for three minutes, because they're only <laughs> like three minutes, go and Google um, the Russian 2020 Eurovision entry and go and watch the video on YouTube. Okay. I think the band was called Little Big. And it, it just made me laugh. And that, to me, is all about it. It's all very well people taking music seriously. And yes, there are times when music needs to be taken very seriously. But at the same time, I love things that make fun of those things that I love whether it's games or whether it's music or you know I'm, I'm quite happy to laugh at everything to do with what I love I'm quite happy to laugh at myself and to me Eurovision is that lighter side of music I just <laughs> adore it you know I, I'm with you I actually well that is one of my guilty pleasures actually Eurovision but but my other and I think Robbie will relate to this is um High School Musical, right? <laughs> I love a bit of High School Musical. My daughters, uh, it, it's probably because of them, right? Because when they were growing up, it, um, it was High School Musical was on 24-7, right? Um, and they were watching it all the time and the songs, we bought the albums, we played them in the car. And it, and you know you've kind of got a bit of a problem when you stop listening to them when they're not in the car, yeah. the girls aren't with you. <laughs> so, <laughs> love a bit of High School Musical. I think it's it's absolutely brilliant. Um, there's some fantastic songs in there. Um and uh, they're real sort of sing-along type of moments when you're sitting in the traffic and uh, people look at you funny when you're belting out a bit. Of... <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so so yeah, that that's probably for me. I mean, I um, and I found funny enough they watched it the other week. They watched number two, which is uh, done. Uh, you, you've probably seen them, Robbie. But there's one where they go to the country club and yeah. they all work in the, and they do a show and. Um, and the girls are always singing the song uh, about the pineapple princess Tiki, right? Um, <laughs> the one, so, so there's we they, we're singing that in the house, and the, the girls will start it, and then I'll finish it off, and and it's just great fun. So yeah, so that that um, is something that happens quite a lot in our house. We uh, we watch High School Musical and have a bit of a laugh, and uh, yeah, it, it's good. But uh, yeah, so that that's probably my that's... guilty pleasure after Eurovision. There's a series on there as well now, Pete, on Disney Plus. High School Musical, the musical, the series. Apparently, it's terrible. I don't know. The yeah, girls won't watch it. My kids but... watched it. They said it was okay. They made it to the end of it at least, so that no. can't have been terrible. <laughs> but funnily enough, I mean, it's funny you say that one because my guilty pleasure is very, very similar to that <laughs> in that it's just Disney songs in general. I think yeah. no matter yeah. how old you are, and I think we've touched on this before around Disney, is that it's still magical and. Very much the same when the oh, kids are in yeah. the car, or sometimes I make the excuse just if it's me and Bonnie in the car that we'll put, you know, Disney song Moana on, soundtrack. Yeah, Moana, yeah. Aladdin, oh, Toy Story, whatever it happens yeah. to be, the yeah. songs are just great. And yeah. they, they you can't, can't like help the rock to... singing, right? The rock's amazing. Exactly. Songs, right? So, yeah, it's, uh, it's always Disney songs, and it's always a good excuse when the kids are there, but exactly the same as you just said. Sometimes you then find yourself, they sneak into your playlist when you're then in the car on your own. Yeah, absolutely. Well, my, so. my wife's a big musical fan. I mean, musicals in general, I, I, again, it's, I don't know whether it's a symptom of how I grew up. My, my parents love musicals, so I've just inherited that. Um, my wife has found that there's a, a, a digital radio station for all it is is show tunes. And, and it's great and it's it's absolutely brilliant there's some that you just think oh it's not so good but there's others that 
they, they just they're almost timeless it doesn't matter what area you're from you can listen to bless your beautiful hide from seven brides of seven brothers and you can listen to something <laughs> from six the the musical about the the wives of henry the eighth which we went saw last year which was yeah. just incredible and you can listen to them back to back and it doesn't matter there's something about songs from musicals that i think yeah. are a little bit different to pop songs they like the sound of age. music right uh, i mean sound the sound of music is a classic that we've Harry had Poppins. used to watch quite a lot yeah you know i'll walk into the house and i'll say raindrops on roses and the girls will come out <laughs> from the corner and go whiskers on kittens yeah, exactly. you know <laughs> so, yeah. it's uh, mary yeah poppins. We, we went to yeah. watched mary poppins at a drive-in cinema last weekend because oh right yeah pop-up drive-in cinemas now because obviously because of um yeah covid you sit in your own car you take a little car picnic and you you watch a big screen and it's 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 not necessarily the perfect cinematic experience. So can you actually see the screen? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, 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 the screen's the size of the house. It's it's not yeah. small, um, yeah. and it's just it's not a cinematic experience. It's just an experience. But we went and watched Mary Poppins, and and I sat there almost tearing up because you listen to Mary Poppins, and it's just it is so perfect and beautiful in its own little way. It's a great, that's, yeah. practically it's perfect in every way. <laughs> exactly that. Absolutely, and the remake. I, I think the remake was much better than people made out was. Yeah, I, I really was enjoyed that. We went to watch that. We watched it on Christmas Eve, and we went to the yeah. cinema to watch it on Christmas Eve, and yeah, it was it was really good. I enjoyed it. They yeah. they didn't change it too much, did they? In that they kept the same sort of format that they knew would work. That's right. Mm. But they didn't That's actually right. try and copy it completely. So it was yeah, it was. I thought yeah. it was quite nicely done. Yeah, it's very I think good. people were a bit sniffy about it, and I, I don't think it was justified. I think it was a, I thought it was a good film. I liked it. Well, I'm glad they didn't remake the original, yeah. you know, yes. and the fact that they did it, what was it, 20 years later, whether it was 30 years later, because it was Jane and Michael's kids, wasn't it? Was it? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was very good. I, I very much enjoyed it. And so Emily Blunt was uh, good casting for that. She, she was, was very, awesome. very good. Yeah. The thing that gets me in that one is where the... The, where Big Ben is just slightly off on the time. That's yeah. exactly the same as the church near my house. In the village near my house, <laughs> the the bell always rings at 29 minutes past or one minute two, and it annoys the hell out of me. And then I've seen that film, and it just yeah made me laugh a little bit from that. Great. So it's time now for the final section of the show as we each put forward our nominations for Geek of the Week, where each of us nominates one person who deserves the title, and we then all agree on a winner. So, Dave, would you like to go first this week? Yeah, I'm. Uh, bear in mind, the last time we did Geek of the Week was a couple of weeks ago, and I I chose Leo Fender, uh, designer of the bass guitar, and I kind of shot myself in the foot because I should have chosen him this time. But for another musical theme, and I mentioned him earlier, Electric Light Orchestra. The leader of the Electric Light Orchestra is a guy called Jeff Lynn, who uh, I get the impression he's he's a little bit of a recluse. He's a little bit shy, but when it comes to a songwriter, oh my goodness the man can write songs i love the electric light orchestra there the stuff in there again it, it lifts these songs just above normal pop songs they're always a little bit different they always tended to write um, concept albums so there's always a there's always a concept running through all the songs in the album and he, he can just write a song um as far as i'm concerned the two best things come out of birmingham are the electric light orchestra and bourneville chocolate <laughs> i can't vote for bourneville chocolate as geek of the week so it's and the curry mile isn't it is that the other one yeah, yeah. <laughs> so overrated as far as i'm concerned very good uh well so for me actually it's our own dave ives uh design spot blogger he uh does some amazing projects with audio related things so guitar fuzz pedals uh, pedals 
he's built his red tin DJ setup, which is basically um, a way of kind of pimping up his, his laptop and his mixing desk, and he puts it all into this sort of red tin box, which is really, really cool. Um, and he's built amplifiers and pimped up speakers, and he's done some really, really, really cool stuff over the years. So if you go onto designspot.com and search for Dave Ives, you'll see all of the stuff that he's kind of built um over well over the last couple of years there's there's all kinds of stuff modular synthesizers and say guitar pedals and his dj red tin and uh yeah go check him out it's really cool cool um mine is also music themed um but strangely he's actually a, a berlin-based artist um called kolja kugler and i'm hoping i'm pronouncing that right <laughs> Um, you might not necessarily think that an artist would be nominated for music, but he's actually the creator of something called the One Love Machine Band, which um, oh, yeah. I think, Pete, you've seen it as well. We were, it was oh, at the, the Maker Fair in Rome, yeah. two years running, actually, um, when we've been there, and I've just never failed to be impressed with it. He's, so he's an artist that builds sculptures, and he built these, they look like robots. Um, one sitting, the... Yeah, one, <laughs> one sitting at a drum kit and the other one playing mm. a guitar. Um, but where it really gets cool is that he's then used all sorts of different um, pneumatics in the back of it to make them actually move, and they really do play the instruments. It's not just a case of them making sounds. They play real songs. Okay. It is quite heavy metal, um, <laughs> literally heavy metal. Literally. <laughs> but <laughs> it's, it's so, so cool. I mean, I, I was there in 2017, then again in 2018, and it was there both times. And I think of, I must have watched them every hour on the hour both yeah. times that I went because there's always something else that you can look at to see how it works. Their eyes move, their mouth moves. They're you know they're actually playing these instruments. It's so so cool. And then and he very even, very loud. Yeah, and, and the last <laughs> time I seem to remember as well, he introduced some birds sitting along a a long metal pole as well. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, and yeah. he just would rush some some wind up there, and suddenly they would make a noise as well. So, it, yeah, I mean it's just very very clever in how he does it, and he. He's a very eccentric man as well in that he says, I, I don't build robots, I build sculptures. Um, yeah. just, they just happen to move and play music. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he's, he's my nomination this week. Yeah, it's very cool. So who's going to get the crown? I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, I've I got to go sound. for Jeff Lynn. Really? I, yeah. I was going to go for Collier Kegler because that sounds amazing. I've just Googled him while you were And I was going to go for Dave, but, um, <laughs> you know, but look, actually, seeing as I've seen that the robot, um, and Dave does some cool stuff, obviously, right? but the, the robot band guy is, is just mesmerizing what he's done. It's incredible. The fact that it all syncs in with the music is, is just an incredible piece of art and engineering put together. So, yeah, I'm going to go with him. Yeah, I've, I've got to agree. I've just Googled what he does, and it yeah. just looks incredible. I would say to anybody who hasn't seen it, just Google One Love Machine Band and you will not be disappointed. It's impressive. <laughs> Although I didn't want to have to try and say his name again, but he has won. So congratulations <laughs> to Kolya Kugler, um, this week's Geek of the Week. And that brings us to the end of yet another episode. So thanks once again for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please do three things for us. Subscribe on your favourite podcast platform, leave us a review and share it with a friend. For more episodes and bonus content, please head to designspot.com forward slash podcasts and we'll see you all again next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. See you all soon.